90s horror today steve do you do you remember um do you know how 90s kids count to six no how do 90s kids <laughs> count to six <laughs> uno dos tres cuatro cinco cinco seis oh god <laughs> ew <laughs> yuck to a very special spooky season mini zone of halloween's forever i'm brian i'm steve <laughs> You don't like the you don't like an offspring reference? Not that offspring reference. (laughs) (laughs) I I had I blew my best I blew some of my best nineties jokes already. But here's my here's my other my other ones were depressing that I was going to use. One of them was going to be, you know, you're a nineties kid. You know, you know when do you know you're a nineties kid? Uh, When your vaccinations were mandatory, no one got measles. But that seems a little too, little too, uh, it it sounds depressing. The other one I had was, I was trying to make work was here. Nineties kids won't get this. So security benefits. Oh God. Again, (laughs) these are just like these, these are not just not my best work across the board guys. I'm in a real joke slump here, Yeah, but that's okay. I mean, you you Uh, blew your load pretty big last week. So mm. It's yeah, yeah. What did I do? What was it last week? I don't even remember. It was an, it, oh, it was, it was yeah. a Jeffrey Epstein joke. Jeffrey yeah, Epstein really. Joke. So you really were pretty big last out. week. I did. I did. I deserve a week off. Um. Anyway, <laughs> yins aren't getting a week off out there in podcast land because we have an awesome uh, episode, uh, mini-sode rather, for you this week. We are going to talk to, or we actually already did talk to, and we'll send you on over there to listen to it in a dang old second, Mr. David Weiner, director, documentarian, filmmaker, um, maker of The In Search of Darkness, deep dive into the 80s horror uh, documentary series. And they're now jumping into uh, the 90s with the next incarnation of In Search of Darkness. Uh, the man was also uh, executive editor of uh, Famous Monsters of Filmland, which is just about the coolest shit in the world. We talk about that a little bit here on the interview. Uh, and then we just talk about some uh, we, we mostly focus on the early part of the 1990s because that's going to be the first um, uh, the first uh, release of the 90s uh, version of In Search of Darkness is going to focus on that. But we talk about his, uh, uh, you know, approach to how they kind of lay out this. And, and he gives us a little bit of information on, you know, who's potentially going to be in there. Maybe we get a little bit of sneaky peekies and who's going to be in there. Maybe we don't. Who knows? You got to wait and listen to hear. But it was a really, really fun uh, interview with an excellent guy, um, director of In Search of Darkness, David Weiner. But before we get into that, we got a couple other dang old housekeeping things we got to do at the top of the show like we always do. First of all, Steve, I see you sipping on a beer over there. What are you sipping on? I got beers. This was a gift uh, from, I guess it's a two chain gift because it's a gift from Abjuration to Ben, who Mm -hmm. then gifted it to me by proxy, I guess. They, oh they, yeah, yes. They gave it to him, and they said, "Ben, go give this to Steve when you see him." Yeah. You know, as as we recorded uh, the last week for the showdown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So even though even though Ben couldn't just give me the win, 
Mm-hmm. And, and nope. it all had, and we had to do the whole voting thing. We got to do the whole voting thing out there, guys. Yeah, <sighs> he did. He did give me this beer from Abjuration, and it is mm-hmm. a rye brown porter. And uh, yeah. boy, it's good. Yeah, I have that one of them in the uh, in the old frigidator downstairs, which I'm going to j- probably jump into after we finish recording this intro, because it looked good, smelled good. I'm about to get into it. Uh, after we get off the old podcast here yeah it, it's like it's not um it's not bitter uh or chocolatey like mm-hmm. a standard porter but it has just kind of that I, I don't know that maybe unctuous is the word i'll use i'll, Ooh, I'll just yeah you use it say yeah. it again but slower unctuous. <laughs> <laughs> i used to say that at work all the time when i was you know my my job was as a beer educator so it's appropriate but i still got made fun of for my coworkers on a regular basis by saying unctuous i would say the word look in the back of the room and my coworkers would be making um gestures as if they were going to vomit something sure. about it was like how some people don't like the word moist you yeah. know uh, I think some people are like that with the word unctuous. It's just not something that's used in in polite conversation quite it's often a, enough. It's a very it's a very weird word. I mean, just even in construction. So mm-hmm. yeah, because yeah. I mean, like U N C T. That's such a weird way to start a word. But and then unctuous. Yeah, but it's a hell of a nice descriptor. Yeah, but it's also just like the beer itself. It's just really Moorish. It's filling. It's mm-hmm. you know, it's delicious. It has a little bit of that rye spice. And it's got some body to it. It's got yeah. it's got a lushness, uh, which is what you get from rye. Yeah. Beta glucans in the rye. Guys, get up to speed. Know your beta glucans. Um, <laughs> Fucking beta cuck glucans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is there's there's a MAGA joke in there somewhere. But mm-hmm. um, in any case, uh, yeah, I have a, a beer that was also gifted to me. Uh, while we were recording our October showdown episode. Um, if you haven't listened to it yet, go on back there. We did that big. It's like the dang old WrestleMania of our podcast uh, that came out last week, which our October uh, Wheeloween showdown uh, where we had the Bogag herself, Meg, back in the building, uh, as well as uh, 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 old friend, multiple time guest, Bigfoot Ben. Uh, we had a lot of fun recording in person, eating some snackies, drinking some beer, talking about some spooky movies. Uh, Meg gave me one of these uh, Harvest, I guess they're calling it Harvest PA Hellas Lager mm-hmm. uh, from Pittsburgh Brewing Company. Em's the maker of that old Iron City, if you're familiar with Iron City, if you're from uh, uh, you know Pennsylvania um, or the greater uh, Pittsburgh area, you certainly are. They did this project where they did, uh, uh, you know, some PA grown and malted barley, some PA, PA grown hops. Um, and they did this, this harvest PA, uh, uh, Hellas lager. I was interested to see whether or not it actually would, you know, kind of pass as a Hellas. And I would say if you handed this to me and said, what style is this? I wouldn't necessarily call it a Hellas because it's just got, you know, I wouldn't say it's not aggressive by any means, but compared to your average, you know, Munich style, you know, German Hellas Lager. Um, it's definitely got a lot more hop character than you expect. This, yeah, I, I drank yeah. it already. Like I drank mm-hmm. it the other night. Um, mm-hmm. And then, like, I was just, I was going to ask, like, did you notice like like a, a real prevalent like grapefruit note on that? Yeah, I get, I, I definitely get some like kind of perfumey citus and uh, and then like a lot of like kind of white grape ester type of thing, which mm-hmm. is 
for me more associated with like an American style lager yeast strain, but you can get white grape at, from, from, uh, you know, Pils malt and, and German, uh, lager yeast as well. Um, it's definitely on the fruity side, not as big a substantial malt character as, you know, some Hellas lagers, you know, you would expect if they just told it, said that, you know, this is an American style law, you know, you don't want to call it American lager because then people think it's going to taste like Iron City or whatever. Right. Um, so I, I understand what they were going for. I wouldn't say it's necessarily true to style for a for a Hellas, uh, but Hellas is quite a broad style. You know, just, you know, this is a, you know, fairly well hopped American style lager you know, brewed with uh, uh, Pennsylvania grown malt and hops, you know, yeah. but, you know, the, the, they leaned in on the, the Hellas Lager thing, which I won't fault them for. But, yeah, I, I wouldn't if you're a fan of, uh, you know, Augustiner Hell or uh, or, uh, you know, Weinstefan original or, you know, something like that. You know, this is not necessarily the same experience, but uh, perfectly, perfectly nice beer. It actually reminds me of a beer we made way back in the day when I worked for Line and Kugels called Hoppenhellis, mm. um, which was uh, very similar, right? It was like American pale malt. You know, there might have been some Pilsner malt in there. And, uh, you know, they use uh, continental and American hop blend, but very, very pleasant, drinkable beer. Certainly can't complain about it. Uh, head retention, not so great, but, you know, mm. I, that's where we're at. I think they just blended regular Iron City with the Blockhouse summer break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they might have. I mean, it's it's definitely got quite a substantial ester character, which, you know, lagers can be estery, but, you know, it's fermentation character that would be more in line with a, you know, American style lager in my mind. Mm. But uh, very pleasant beer, well-made beer. Uh, would, would absolutely drink another one if somebody, somebody handed it to me, that's for sure. But yeah, not, yeah, it's not it, bad at all, but yeah, not, not necessarily. I wouldn't, wouldn't call, wouldn't necessarily call it Hellas, but listen, I'm not here to be a dang old style Nazians guys. Um, <laughs> all right. A couple other things, uh, we should probably talk about as always, if, cause you know, as we, as we get a lot of new listeners this time of year around the spooky season, we get a big old influx of like whole crap load of new listeners. Welcome to the podcast. Here's what we do. Spooky, ooky content on the Internet. Every dang Monday, we release a new podcast. We do mini-sodes every week, except for the first Monday of every month. We do what's called a showdown episode, which is what we did for October last month. Um, we take a whole bunch of suggestions for topics. We put them on a dang old spinny wheel on an average month. Now, we did the wheel of ween in October, but that's just an October thing. We take those topics, we put them on this big old spinny wheel, and every month we draw three of them. We put it on the social medias, on Instagram, and uh, on and, and on the uh, the X. We vote. All our social media friends and listeners get to help us decide what that topic's going to be. Once we got a topic, uh, Steve, your boy, and whoever our guest is for that month, pick a film or TV episode or whatever the hell the topic is. Usually it's movies associate with that topic and then we argue about it we have a dang old no holds barred balls count anywhere hardcore match smash each other up the side of the head with some chairs and you know maybe you know steve he likes to do the old pocket sand wow, throw sand in people's eyes that sort of thing mr fuji style ultimately somebody is gonna pin, get pinned somebody's gonna take home that son of a bitch and championship strap for the month 
So if you're interested in listening to that type of nonsense, or if you want to give us suggestions for what those topics should be, or maybe you got a suggestion for a mini-sode. We've done a couple of mini-sodes in the last couple of months that were listener suggestions like, hey, check out this movie. You should do a, a mini-sode on it. Uh, check us out on the social medias. If you go to Halloween is Forever on Instagram or Facebook or X or uh, Stitch or whatever the fuck, all the all them social medias. We got an account out there, guys. Just put Halloween is forever. It's a little pixelated pumpkin guy. Um, that's our account. Follow us. Interact with us. Send us a DM if you feel more comfortable doing that. That's fine, too. Or if you want to send us one of them old fashioned ass emails, you can do that by sending it to Halloween is forever pod at gmail.com. There's a new thing. Yeah, there's always new a new social. There's not always, a new social media. There's always, yeah, there's always a new thing. But there's a new hey. thing I'm trying hey. to learn. Haven't figured it out yet. Apparently on TikTok, you can now attach an entire podcast episode to a video. Okay. So you can listen to a full podcast on TikTok rather than if for whatever reason, if that's your preferred, you know, place to fuck around at. But now Mm -hmm. I have to figure that out. The one problem, though, that I definitely have learned is that they only take podcasts that are under 90 minutes. And boy, that's a that's a struggle for us. <laughs> that rules us right out of the equation. We're rarely under uh, probably 190 minutes. Yeah. Um, so we we tend to talk a lot, especially on them showed out episodes. But that's interesting. Uh, that's the one because I'm a, an old an old fart. I don't spend a whole bunch of time there over on the Tiki Talkies. Uh-uh. Um, but uh, yeah, here that's what the kids on the streets are up to out there talking about the TikTokies and doing dances and wearing baggy pants yeah. and whatnot. If I, I think the first episode, as soon as I figure this dumb thing out, mm-hmm. I have to make a video for it. But then as soon as I make the video for it, I can attach the episode we did with Steve Radzinski because that one actually came in under uh, an hour and a half. So, oh, OK, you, there you, you can, go. You can listen to our episode of, with Steve Radzinski on TikTok if that's uh, you're so choosing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these. So those are the only ones that go that that low are when we actually do interview somebody, because most of the time we interview somebody, they don't want to talk for three hours because they're regular human people and they have lives. Right. Um, when it's just us talking, we talk for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. Um, so this one actually might. Who's, who knows? You know, we had, a, we had a nice little tight conversation with David Weiner. Um, so maybe this will end up on the Tiki Talkies as well. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. I don't know. I'm not who in knows? charge of the Internet. Uh, anyways, guys, uh, one other thing we should probably mention, uh, like I said, if you're new to the podcast, if you haven't subscribed yet, we got a Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash Halloween is forever. Uh, we got some fun stuff over there. Steve, tell them what kind of fun stuff and, and potentially uh, damaging things we have over there. Yes. So two tiers on the Patreon and I, I, I don't push this as much, but like if you sign up for the scamps tier. Mm-hmm. which is our it's our introductory level mm-hmm. you get a couple two tree things on there you'll get ad free episodes when we have ads you'll get you know an extra vote in the poll you'll get bonus content couple important things for october one we're running a 31 days of horror recommendations so I'm, just every day i'm putting up a little article about a a movie or a tv show or you know mm-hmm. whatever's going on 
Check that out. You're looking for spooky watches? You want to have some 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 professional spooksters tell you what spooky watches they have? Go check it out on owner. Yeah, check it out. Uh, but also on on that introductory tier, you can get a seven day free trial. So you can you can you can gobble up some of those recos like a little piggy. Get a like a little piggy, like one of them little French piggies snorting around trying to find the truffles. Get yourself you're some finding, truffles. You're finding tasty spooky recos. Yeah. That's what you get on the scamps tier. On our second tier level, though, the rascals tier. Oh, the rascals tier. It's only five bucks a month. But Come what on. you get is everything the scamps get. And mm-hmm. then you get access to our Discord. And if you're yeah. on our Discord, that means you can participate in episodes and watch them happen live. Mm-hmm. You could have been asking David Weiner questions from yeah. the chat log. You sure could, could have been seeing it happen. You could have seen like all the extra things that we talked about before and after, you know, mm-hmm. but you didn't because you haven't signed up yet. You silly goose. You've been fucking up. But you know what? There's a light at the end of the tunnel. You give us five bucks a month. It's just a little tiny bit of paper monies. And bit. You get all this stuff. Plus, you get to see my life slowly unravel. That's right, because the other <laughs> thing we have is an exclusive monthly podcast called Family is Forever. A truly terrible mindfuck for Brian's life. I hate as we it. go through the entirety of the Fast and Furious franchise. Do you hate me? Then you're going to love this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what we do. Here's how this worked out. I don't like how it's progressing. It's going. We're going down the wrong. We're going down the wrong path here. But here's what happened. We said. I, I said, I am never seen any of them old dang Fast and Furious movies, except for the first one. That was about 20 years ago. And Steve said, we should do a Patreon exclusive podcast where each month we watch one of the Fast and the Furious movies. And I said, ha ha ha, hearty har har. That sounds <laughs> stupid. Fast forward a couple months later, he somehow talked me into it. He's kind of gaslit me into telling me it's going to be fun not fun the movies are horrible we've done three of them we're about to do the fourth um i'm probably not going to make it you know with my heart still beating through the rest of them because i'm just going to lay down in front of a garbage truck um because these movies are getting shittier and shittier as we go but then like for a second they'll act like they're not shitty and then they'll get real shitty so like first it was just steve kind of like gaslighting me into watching these fucking dumb movies now it's kind of evolving into some sort of i think larger conspiracy psyop type situation where i'm really starting to not know who i can trust in my life and i'm starting to get alienated from my friends and loved ones my life's falling apart as a result of the fast and the furious franchise so if you want to hear the podcast in which we discuss these viewings it is a lot of fun let me reiterate the movies are not fun but the podcast is fun. Podcast and you can is only a lot listen of fun. to that. You can only listen to that podcast. Uh, and then Steve does a little thing at the end where he gaslights me more by doing we call it the oil check at the end. And we've got little segments. It's <laughs> problematic on a lot of levels. But if you want to listen to that Patreon exclusive podcast, you got to sign up for that rascal tier over at uh, patreon.com forward slash Halloween is forever. And then you yeah. get a bunch of other stuff as well. Yeah. So. All right, guys. Um, okay. Anything else we need to talk about? I think we got all that stuff up out the way. We talked about beers. We talked about the social medias, all that sort of stuff. Um, it's oh, time one, to spin the wheel. It's time to spin the wheel. But before we do that, I did want to say one other thing. 
If you like this here podcast, go into the podcast app, subscribe, do the little like, the plus sign, the follow, the subscribe, whatever the fuck, you know, podcast catcher app, whatever you got, go in there. And if you like it and you say these old boys are doing a good old job, go in there and write us a little review. All you got to do is go into the settings, scroll down the bottom, hit five stars, whatever the max amount of stars are, and then type a little something. You got to type something. You can type uh, eat shit and die. Uh, Steve, you are um, your government shill. Write that. <laughs> That's fine. It doesn't matter what you write. As long as you write something, give five stars. And then go over one of them social medias on Instagram or, or, or X and send us a DM and say, hey, I just reviewed you on the, on the site, like the show, whatever. And then I will send you some fucking Halloween's Forever stickers in the mail so you can do crimes with them you could vandalize public property with them you could stick them on your baby uh on your refrigerator uh whatever the hell you want to do i don't give a shit what you do with them but i'll send you some stickers and maybe i'll send you some other spooky yuki shit so maybe a little temporary tattoos fucking everlasting gobstoppers or something i don't know um uh, but if you want some stickers shoot us a dm give us a little review we much appreciate that helps a lot for new people to find the podcast all right, now we got to spin that dang old wheel because like we talked about, we already did our October showdown episode. We do it the first Monday of the month. So we are about to spin the wheel for the November showdown. Again, we're mm -hmm. going to spin it three times. We're going to get three different topics. And these topics are going to go up on our on our uh, our social media. So our friends and followers and all them folks over there on the internet can tell us which one of these they want us to talk about for November showdown. Indeed. So let's get the wheel of spinning and get I'll that dang old wheel of spinning. Wheel of ween going back in the old uh, bag until next year. We're getting back to the regular old spinning wheel. Regular old spinning wheel has delivered us a good one. It's a, it's, okay. It's a good early front runner because it's called revenge horror. Ooh, I like revenge horror. Yeah. Plenty of revenge horror flicks out there. Um, new ones, old ones. Ooh, got a couple of good revenge horror that comes up in my mind. Although I will tell you, some of the ones that come immediate, immediately to my mind for revenge horror uh, might toe the line between horror. Might like they might be. Oh yeah, not one hundred percent horror. You know, I think of a Miss 45 or something like that, right? Like that's yeah. more of an ex exploitation thriller, but like definitely horrific things. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I guess if if we're all willing to accept that The Last House on the Left is mm -hmm. a horror film, which generally yes. it gets classified as, even though there's nothing supernatural about it and it's really brutal to watch. Yeah. Unpleasant. If you can if you can call that one horror than everything else that is somewhat in the same vein as that. Uh, yeah, you can you can kind of go that you'd have to figure out where to draw that line if it comes to it, because I like I said, I think Miss 45, I think that I think I was on the on the cusp that somebody could argue that that's horror, but I don't mm -hmm. know that it is. But then like the like Death Wish movies, that's Bad. not horror. Death Wish ain't horror. Death that Wish ain't horror. Yeah. Death Wish but I'm like, horror. if I'm thinking about the difference between Death Wish and Miss 45, there's not like a ton of difference. <laughs> I think that I think part of the reason why Death Wish wouldn't be horror is because 
uh, Charles Bronson is so not a victim. Right. He is 100 percent in control. He just shows up and then he is that he is. It isn't the victim exacting revenge. Not that that's necessarily a, 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 a precursor or something that you have to establish, but um, it's not a requirement. But I do think that that has something to do with it. Yeah, because because like it's partly like it's his family, you mm-hmm. know, that is the victim. He's a victim by association by having terrible things happen to his family. But like you would no point believe that Charles Bronson is in trouble. No. Like, you're just like, oh, the get whole those guys in trouble. Get that slime. <laughs> <laughs> I love those movies, though. Yeah. Uh, all right. All so right. revenge horror is our first. We've got two more here. What do we got? Number two is mm-hmm. that's telekinesis, Kyle. Okay, that is one that's got came up on the wheel before, but has never got voted in. And right. maybe we need to change the name to just telekinesis movies because yeah. the joke is that's a tenacious D reference. That's right. telekinesis, Kyle. Um, but we're just talking about telekinesis movies. Yeah. We're just talking about uh, even though we've talked. So I'll use this as an example because we've you know we've done it on another episode, so it's off the board. But Carrie. Right. Mm-hmm. Carrie would be a telekinesis movie. I don't think we've ever done it, but Firestarter. That's obviously a telekinesis. Yeah, we movie, haven't. Right? We haven't done it. Um, neither but, neither but, the old one or the new one. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. Nobody's going to pick those. Um, but the point is like a movie where, you know, one of the characters or or the theme, the 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 power of telekinesis, mental telepathy, whatever is prominently displayed. So mm-hmm. that's what we're talking about with telekinesis. That's telekinesis, Kyle old friday the 13th part seven. <laughs> oh yeah there you go <laughs> but all right in our final category is fan flicks oh fan flicks that's a fun one because we have done some fan flicks like right. we've talked about fan flicks um i think they've all been on minisodes but the like yeah uh, don't uh, never hike alone Never Hike Alone. I can never remember the name of this. You know, those are some pretty high f- profile fan flicks. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've even talked about some of the sequels. Um, and, but, you know, those are Friday the 13th fan flicks. So these are are movies that are inspired by the kind of um, licensed, uh, uh, canonized uh, renditions of the franchise. These are fan films that are, in most cases, not i think almost in all cases by law these are not commercial films right right yeah they're not you're not allowed to make money off of them um so like that's why most of them exist on youtube and they're not monetized i'm sure the filmmakers have some sort of way of copying a little bit for themselves but like yeah i mean a lot of times these things are like crowdfunded yeah i I always wonder about the the legal gray area that exists there but typically speaking these seem to be pretty um they have they have a at least some sort of understanding with the owners of the ip because if they didn't they would get the fuck suit out of them right right so (laughs) i think it's i think it's one of those things where it's like oh this is like these are typically like love letters to a particular movie or franchise a lot of them that i've seen are associated with the big kind of you know horror franchises 80s uh, 70s 80s 90s horror franchises Mm -hmm. it's like you know halloween friday the 13th uh, 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 you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, that sort of stuff. But yeah. I'm sure there's plenty of other ones. 
And I mean, even as you're listening to this now, I let's see, Never Hike Alone 2 should be coming out October 13th this year. Mm. So, you know, next week or end of this week, actually. Um, yeah. And then I don't know if it's out yet or if it's coming soon, but there there's a new um, there's a new nightmare one that actually stars the kid from Wes Craven's new nightmare. Oh, OK. Yeah. So like he's an adult and I think it's a continuation of that kind of storyline. You know, what's interesting? We didn't I don't remember what year that came out. That was the first half of 94 the 90s, right? ish. Yeah I, yeah, I I wish we would have uh, talked to David about that. Spoiler alert, we don't talk about Wes Craven's new nightmare, but I would have <laughs> loved to have gotten his take on that because that's such a fucking weird movie and I still don't fully believe that it exists. Um, but we will uh, maybe maybe next time we get David back on the show. We'll talk to him next time. Yeah, but yeah. So so fan flicks once again, uh, telekinesis movies and revenge horror. That's what's going to be on the docket for November. Uh, so. Look on the social medias. We usually put it on the Instagram story. We put it on uh, a poll on the on the Twitter slash X, the Twix, if you will. So go on over there. Vote. Help us decide which of those topics you want us to talk about for that showdown episode in November. And listen up because we'll tell you who our guest for November is going to be because we haven't announced that yet. So keep an eye out. Keep an eye to the floor or an eye to the floor, (laughs) an ear to the floor. Keep an eye to the floor if you feel so inclined. You ain't going to see that much, Um, but you might hear some things and we'll tell you who that guest is going to be in the coming weeks. Keep an eye to the floor if you're the bad guy in opera. (laughs) (laughs) Argento jokes, guys. We got them. Anything else we got to do before we get over to our interview? No, I don't think so. I think, uh, you know, it's all settled. Uh, Tune in next week to whatever the punishment film is. uh, You know, that's that. (laughs) Yeah, the punishment film. We don't know yet. Um, I'm terrified. We'll find out soon. Um, Okay. Without further ado, uh, get ready because uh, we're going to send you over to our uh, extremely enjoyable, super fun, uh, really interesting interview uh, with director of the In Search of Darkness horror documentary series, uh, Mr. David Weiner. All right, let's jump into the interview. We we are here. We are honored to have uh, on uh, this very spooky interview season here where we're in the thick of it, guys, we're in the thickest spooky season, and we've got an awesome guest with us today. Uh, as promised, we've got David Weiner, uh, director of the In Search of Darkness series. We all know him, but but also a ton of other things, uh, including, um, you know, a, a lot of fantastic and influential writing about the genre. And we'll get into all that. But welcome, David. We appreciate the time. Thanks, guys. It's a it's a pleasure to be here. And uh, especially during spooky season, which is my my high holiday month. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I live and breathe. October. Uh, I have a playlist called Octoberland, mm-hmm. and I start playing that usually in August. And, <laughs> and when when uh, we cross over the threshold into October first, I'm usually I, I'm in disbelief that we're actually here. Yeah. And then I get worried that I'm wasting. I'm wasting it away. I know you got to take advantage of it. Just you know, suck out every little bit of uh, of the marrow out of those October bones, right? Yeah. 
think, think about it all year long. And so when you finally get to it, you're like, oh, how do I do so many things? I, I, I'll do nothing because I don't know where to start. <laughs> well, uh, we, we appreciate you uh, sharing a portion of your spooky season with us. Uh, if, if you wouldn't mind, uh, would love to, uh, uh, if you were so kind as to give uh, our listeners a little bit of a rundown, I think uh, the vast majority of them are probably also already familiar uh, with some of your work, but it's, but uh, you know, give us a little bit of rundown on, on the, uh, the in search of darkness. Um, uh, boy, I mean, obviously, uh, multiple, uh, I think there were three different, um, installments of the eighties mm-hmm. horror, right. And now we're moving into nineties yeah. horror. Yeah. 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 Uh, I am a, uh, a writer, a director, producer, filmmaker, documentary filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, uh, I have done the uh, the one you mentioned, In Search of Darkness, mm. part one, part two, part three, uh, which is a deep dive into uh, 80s horror filmmaking. And uh, each of these movies, which uh, are on Shudder and AMC Plus and Amazon, uh, uh, they're made uh, by Creator VC, which is a small company executive produced by uh, and the CEO, uh, Robert Robin Block. Uh, this is all his brainchild. He enlisted me to take his idea and put it into something that you could hold in your hands and physical media, mm-hmm. which we're big proponents of. Um, but we ended up doing a, a crowdfunded project in search of darkness. Uh, it ended up being a four and a half hour film, uh, upwards of 50 people, the likes of John Carpenter, Heather Langenkamp, uh, yeah. Barbara Crampton, Joe Dante, you name it. If they're a horror icon, filmmaker, actor, special effects person, uh, we either got them or we begged them to be in it. And <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, what we do, why, the reason why these movies are so uh, uh, they're long form and so long is that what we do is we literally go from 1980 to 1989. And then within each, within each year, we we uh, cover a bunch of films and we talk to people who were part of uh, the whole era and the movement who made these films. We have larger context chapters in between talking about other topics uh, and, and related topics to the decade. And uh, the people who are joining us also talk about the movies that they love. And it's just an absolute celebration. And the first one did so well. We did a part two and then a part three. Um Ended up being 14 plus hours uh, of, of an exploration into <laughs> 80s horror. Uh, I also got to do one for 80s sci-fi as well called In Search of Tomorrow. Uh, and so up next, we're, we're going to dive into the 90s and we could talk all about that. But prior to me being a filmmaker, uh, I'm, as you mentioned, I'm you know enter- entertainment journalist. Uh, I, I was the editor-in-chief of Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine. I worked at Entertainment Tonight. In the uh, celebrity trenches for 13 years, uh, writing about uh, getting battle scarred, writing about uh, celebrity uh, marriages, divorces, DUIs, deaths, Hiltons, Kardashians. But amid all that, all that stuff, I got to do some really cool stuff. I got to do set visits. I got to do interviews. I got to do red carpets. I got to talk to uh, uh, some of my absolute heroes. Uh uh, musicians and TV and, and, and movies. And that was super cool. And yeah, yeah I guess I'll just write, I mean, listen, I, I'm one of those people who's just been doing a lot of stuff. So I should just shut up about my no, resume. That, it's, it's wildly impressive. Done, if I could just add one more thing, the yeah. thing that I love most is I love interviewing my heroes mm-hmm. and I love sitting down 
talking to, you know, I love Alien. And if I get to talk to Ridley Scott, which I did for The Hollywood Reporter on the 40th anniversary of, of Alien, that's like a pinch me moment, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I did a lot of stuff for The Hollywood Reporter and LA Weekly, and now I get to do it for these documentaries. And uh, uh, I am a happy camper. Yeah. I mean, yeah. what what a career. I mean, I think if I could, uh, if I could uh, notch one of those uh, notches in my belt, I would, I would call that a qu- heck of a heck of a career. Editor in chief, famous monsters of Filmland. I mean, come on, that's that's like that's something you put on the tombstone right there. From in the in in the monster nerd circles. I mean, that's royalty practically, right? <laughs> it it was uh, the magazine I loved as a kid, and who knew? Definitely not me that I'd end up. Uh, a writing for and then B running the magazine. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I even got to meet Forey Ackerman and meet him at the Acker Mansion. That was one of my questions uh, is, point. have you ever stepped foot inside the Acker Mansion? Uh, yeah. Well, for those, for the uninitiated yeah. uh, uh, famous monsters, I'll give the very brief background, but that's been around since 1958. Mm. It's come and gone a couple times uh, after Forey Ackerman, the editor in chief, mm. the original editor in chief, uh, uh, created the magazine um it's back now actually uh cory taylor is the co-owner of it right oh. um but the reason why i departed was uh they ended the magazine and then kind of brought it back and kind of let it go again but um uh i i really enjoyed my time doing it and uh prior to me ever being uh executive editor of the magazine we call it the same thing as editor-in-chief mm-hmm. but because forey was the honorary uh, editor in chief, uh, gotcha. executive editor. But I think people don't know what that means, so it's easier to say editor in chief. But uh, Forey always used to open his home to anyone who wanted to see his insane collection of priceless and dollar ninety eight uh, uh, <laughs> level stuff, uh, and um, you know everything from paintings that were on the cover of Famous Monsters to. You know, the, the the flying saucers from Plan 9 from outer space. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had everything and everyone uh, uh, loved him and gave him stuff. And he just put it all over his house and he'd open it up uh, every weekend for people to just check out and go. And when I first moved out to California after I graduated from film school, uh, I read around Halloween this time in The Hollywood Reporter that Forey Ackerman was still doing that. And it it sort of like unlocked this like childhood whole thing where I was like, Oh my God, a, he's still around B. I could just go to his house now if I want to. Mm-hmm. And I beelined it to his house in, in, in Horrorwood, California <laughs> and, uh, up the tour and met him. And it was just super cool. And, cut to many years later. Yeah. Another story I could tell you, but uh, I ended up being uh, editor for Famous Monsters just by happenstance, by talking to the previous editor uh, uh, who invited me to write for the magazine mm-hmm. and then invited me to come on when I left Entertainment Tonight. And then um, when he was on his way out, he said, the, you know, he handed me the keys to the car. Yeah, that's the short version. <laughs> well, that's 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 incredible. I mean, talk about a dream come true uh, for 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 a monster kid, right? Um, yeah. Well, um, you know, one one of the things you had mentioned, and, and you know, getting getting back to you know where we're going or where you're going with 
in search of darkness obviously spent you know uh, a ton of time focusing on 80s horror and i think that um if i go on a limb and say one, one of the reasons as a hardcore horror nerd and i think probably a lot of people share in this sentiment that we loved in search of darkness so much is it was so um exhaustive you know what I mean? There are so many horror documentaries out there, so many horror YouTube channels that try to do, you know, what you're doing, obviously, with with much less level of experience, and you know, expertise. But whenever they do it, you kind of can figure out in the first five minutes that this is just going to be the same movies we're going to talk about that we always talk about. Right. These are the same, yeah. you know, the same you know, guests you can that that will show up, you know, are going to show up for this one as they did in the last one. The thing that was so impressive and, and so immersive uh, about In Search of Darkness is not only the incredible cast of, of guests uh, that you got on there. I mean, really, a, like you said, a who's who uh, of 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s, or, you know, is spanning multiple mm-hmm. decades. But the fact that you didn't just hit on the movies that you expected to hit on. Um, you know, you, you, you peeled back a few layers, of the onion and got to some of the maybe, uh, less watched horror movies that, um, you know, of course, uh, you're going to talk about the, the, the big ones of the, you know, if you're talking about the nineties, you're going to talk about scream. You're going to talk about the Blair witch project. You got to, you can't, you can't not talk about them. Right. But I'm really super excited to, to see that, that second, that third, that fourth layer of the onion peeled back. Right. And that was something, that was something I loved about, about the, the eighties rendition. Well, I appreciate that you recognize that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was one of those things where by being able to do a part two and then especially a part three, mm-hmm. we got to peel away that onion. Uh, and it was a progressive thing, which we kind of caught flack for on part one. Mm-hmm. Um, part one, w- you know, we were happy to just be able to get that made and to have it so well received. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, I made a very difficult choice with that film because it's such a huge decade and hundreds and hundreds of movies that, that came out, whether it was on the big screen or straight to video. Mm-hmm. It's impossible. You, there's no way that you can get it all. Yeah. And, and as a completist myself, I was disappointed that, you know, I was like, how can I manage to get more things in there if we're not going to actually cover the movie? And that's where if they make a reference I'll show a video. Mm-hmm. You know, we have this wall of posters where each year, even if we don't touch on that poster and talk about that movie, it's there. It's showing you. Yes, we know it's out there. You could discover it on your own. Sorry, we didn't get to it. <laughs> well, you got to give. <laughs> listen, we'll get to it next time. as as I at least I like to pretend I am a self-aware enough horror nerd to realize that. Us horror nerds are, we can be a little petty, right? We can be a little, let, let's say uh, 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 pedantic would be a kind way of putting it, right? So if, if you if you uh, nod to, the, to, to that person's favorite movie, you know, even if you didn't deep dive on it, it goes a long way. You know, it's, it's just giving it the nod. It's giving it the recognition, right? Well, this is what I ultimately learned. And I kind of knew this ahead of time, mm-hmm. but it was validated when we had our, our first screening of the film, at Beyond Fest, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in front of a live audience. And uh, uh, when we would go on this this giant ball, you know, wall of posters, uh, I could hear verbally, it would go right past one particular one and then go to another. And I'd hear, while some people would be like, yay, I'd hear, oh, you know. <laughs> I'd, hear, I'd hear that frustrated exhale, you yeah. know, that I, I didn't pick that person's favorite. And uh Listen, I get it. I'm the guy who gets to make the final decisions. And there's still 
uh, a large amount of movies that I didn't get to that I would have wanted in these films. Yeah. But uh, at a certain point, it's just impossible yeah. to be able to do. And, you know, the, the real uh, quick breakdown of these movies, for those also not in the know, is that uh, the first one has a lot of eclectic choices, but it really does cover the heavy hitters. Mm. Um, and, and, and I did so many, you know, Friday the 13th sequels and so on, because I, I could already hear people saying, well, how could you not do that? How could you not, you know, you could do this, but you're not going to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, nightmare on Elm street, you know, we went from one to three and I, and we, we covered a number of them, but people were like, where's two, you know? (laughs) Um, and uh, also, I made a very difficult choice, at least for the first one, not knowing if I'd ever get to do this ever again, uh, that we would just stick to North American films, knowing full well that there's so so many amazing international uh, entries, mm. especially Italian and Asian horror and south of the border, you know, some great Spanish and Mexican horror, European stuff. Uh, I just hoped maybe one day I'd be able to get to it. And so well, with the peeling of the onion, mm-hmm. like you said... People who showed their patience were rewarded, hopefully, when I really finally got to get to this stuff, not only in part two, but in part three, where so many people said I scraped the bottom of the barrel, both in a positive and a negative way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say the bottom of the barrel. That's where all the interesting stuff is, right? Come on. It's in part two that you like you really get into the giallo, which is, you know, one of our kind of uh, it's one of our favorite subgenres i would say mm-hmm. uh, just because it gets so wild but it's also so visually impressive just for like getting into the 90s though uh i know one of the things that uh in search of for uh 90 to 94 wants to focus on is like the vhs culture and mm-hmm. since we're talking international i was wondering if there was any possibility that we may see uh dipping into uh like the the almost anime that became like such a huge part of VHS culture during that time, because I can't think of a Suncoast video that didn't have like this, for, <laughs> this forbidden section of mm-hmm. films that of like, you know, Wicked City and Nin- uh, Ninja Scroll. And I was just wondering if there was any room for that in this first part, or maybe that's again, peeling the onion later down the line. Uh, it's, it's, it's yet to be determined. Uh, um, one thing I'll say sort of flat out is, uh, uh, a thing that we've we've been able to do uh, because these are our crowdfunded projects is that we invite everyone to say what they want to see. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not edited by committee, but it really helps to inform me constructively stuff that I might not necessarily realize is really popular, you know, and I'm not talking about the very well-known popular things. I'm talking about like someone loves a particular, you know, everyone wants to have, you know, Warlock 3 and and we're going to die if they don't have it in there. I need people, I need like 50 people to say, you're going to do Warlock, you know, 3, right? Mm -hmm. You know, Warlock 2, whatever, whichever it is. Um, And some of those, some of those uh, uh, more nasty bottom of the barrel stuff, um, this time around, I'm not going to wait. Uh, I don't know how many opportunities we're going to make to to do a part. Two, you know, mm-hmm. we're doing part one, 1990 to 1994, part two, 95 to 1999. But then we don't have a, a game plan for what happens next afterwards. You know, if this is a, a, an incredible success, uh, we're we're very likely to dive back in and just do the whole thing over again. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think if I've learned any lesson, it's that. By the time you get to three and you're, quote unquote, scraping the bottom of the barrel, 
the appreciation is absolute by the horror fans mm -hmm. and and incredibly encouraged. And so uh, I plan to mix it up with some very eclectic titles along with very well-known titles. And, and I, I, I have a great problem. And the problem that I have is it's not all going to fit because there's so much great stuff in this decade. And I think a lot of people, A, don't really realize that or remember that, but I will be sure to remind them. And then they're going to start saying, well, where's X, Y, and Z? <laughs> but, uh, but it's not going to be all just only the hugely popular stuff uh, in the first round like we did with the 80s mm -hmm. first entry. Yeah. Gotcha. I mean, even before you got on, Brian and I were talking about like how uh, like uh, absolutely stacked just the year 1990 was because you have like you have like tremors you have misery you have uh the night of the living dead remake you have like all of these wonderful films that came out just in 1990 so how dare you, how i'm gonna stop you how dare you not say gremlins to the new batch how I dare didn't get you to it. you know i'm it. sitting right here waiting for it <laughs> well and that's another thing you know is is you know i put gremlins in in, in search of darkness uh the part one sure. but you know, how badly do people want Gremlins 2, you know? And so uh, the thing is, it's very hard. And this is a good, good, very hard, mm -hmm. you know, to experience. But it's very hard to know what people must have, you know? Because, um, again, even though this is going to be a long-form documentary, uh, I, there are so many great films that I want to include. And 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 I guess this is a good as good a time as any to clarify that, there was not a very fine line between the last day of 89 and the first day of 90. <laughs> yeah. There's some dramatic change in, in the content. Mm -hmm. uh, it still felt very much like the 80s and the early 90s, especially with the explosion of stuff on the video store shelves. Um, but uh, And you had all these 80s horror icons. You know, you had Jason, you had Pinhead, you had Freddy. You had Leatherface, you had Chucky. I mean, on and on and on. Mm -hmm. The tall man came around for more. Michael Myers was waiting in the wings to, to come back. Uh, I think it was in 95 or something like that. Mm. But everybody was there. Uh, so it still felt very much like the 80s, but a whole new uh, realm of, of filmmakers uh, who wanted to, to... I have a lot of things in my mind to say. It's very hard to encapsulate. No, A-listers wanted to jump on, on horror movies too. So uh, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula... Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, Interview with a Vampire, Misery, like you said, mm. um, you know, uh, Wolf with Jack Nicholson mm -hmm. and Michelle Pfeiffer, yeah. Michael Nichols film. Ernest you know, Scared James Stupid. <laughs> Ernest Scared Stupid. Yes, exactly. Exactly. The, the cream of the crop wanted to do horror movies. Right. And uh, because of that, uh, because of that, um, there was a lot of great stuff in the theater. But at the on, uh, on the flip side of that. There were uh, studios didn't also want to to say that their movies were horror half the time, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, because there was such an overabundance in the eighties that it was a bit of a stigma to call them a horror film. So, psychological thriller, erotic thriller, a crime thriller. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a, there's always a good body count. There was plenty of horror to be had, but you know if you were making a movie like you know Hand the Rocks the Cradle or Basic Instinct or you know, flatliners, none of these things were being called horror, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and so uh, there's still amazing A-list stuff happening, but um, the dynamic of of how they were marketed and who they were marketed to changed a bit uh, it, when they were trying on sort of a new pair of shoes. And of course, you know, Silence of the Lambs as well, Yeah. you know? 
Um, to this day, people are, people argue, is that a horror movie or not? Yeah. Which to me is, I think to us, horror fans is kind of silly. I think, yeah. I think as yeah. soon as Anthony Hopkins won the Oscar, it automatically got adopted into horror just to have an Oscar win in the genre. <laughs> <laughs> you know, th- those arguments um, still, I mean, I still have people when, they, oh, you like horror movie. Hey, is Jaws a horror movie? Like that's a conversation that's been happening for 40 years. But yeah, it's still uh, in the uh, in the broader, like general public zeitgeist. Like, yeah, still still a valid question. So when is if 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 Jaws is in space, is it a horror film? That's my (laughs) question. (laughs) As soon as sharks started remembering people and holding grudges, then all of a sudden I was like, now we're now we're in horror. Right. Now. Now we know that Jaws the Revenge is a supernatural thriller. (laughs) Supernatural psychological supernatural thriller um <laughs> island exactly. thriller island thriller <laughs> i think it might be an it might be a caribbean thriller actually um yeah so the i mean just kind of sh- shifting gears here but it, th- this just kind of in, popped into my head i'm i'm always interested in um i guess the the right, ref- Bahamas, Bahamian, because it takes place in Nassau, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. Listen, I want to correct myself. A Bahamian get- thriller. Yeah, that's not misleading <laughs> at all. Put that right on the IMDb page. Um, yeah, I like, uh, I, I'm always interested in the uh, kind of horror's ability to, uh, uh, not to sound too too uh, snobby, but kind of hold up the the mirror, if you will, to society and kind of reflect some of the, mm-hmm. you know, thoughts and fears and themes and things that are that are in the public consciousness. And of course, it just stands to reason that we want to compartmentalize things in in each decade. Um, so like you said, though, 1990, you know, pretty darn close to 1989. Right. So as you see that 10 year window and, and obviously you're looking at it on a, on a much grand, more grandiose, like broader scale than the average viewer as you're piecing together these, this, you know, 14 hours potentially of content, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the thing, things that, you know, having done the eighties and then moving into the nineties, because in, you know, in the, the, you know, hardcore horror nerd community, you know, just a few years ago, people weren't really talking about the nineties in the same way they are now, right? It's really hitting that, uh, you know, cultural, not, not to be too, um, uh, pragmatic about it, but that kind of the the uh, customer life or the marketing you know life cycle of the '90s is now getting to a place where it's peaking, right? People who are who are my age that grew up in the '90s are really starting to feel nostalgia for the '90s, where a few years ago, mm-hmm. you know, more people were really focusing on the '80s. So, getting back to my original my original uh, question, you know, what are some of the like themes that maybe didn't maybe they started to emerge in the 90s or maybe they just started to become more prominent in the 90s that you really weren't seeing in the 80s that in your mind maybe differentiate uh, a, a 90s horror film from an 80s horror film, even though they might be only, you know, 18 months apart in release date? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I would say uh, a very prominent theme is, well, it's a, it's more of a subgenre, but mm-hmm. the serial killer mm-hmm. subgenre. Um, it, 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 the, arguably serial killers were, were all through the eighties mm-hmm. by, uh, by way of slashers, but the, the reality in real life, you know, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer, he was not the first serial killer, you know, sure. but, uh, uh, but, uh, combining everyone from Ed Gein to John Wayne Gacy to Ted Bundy somehow Jeffrey Dahmer really, really, really upset the apple cart in terms of disturbing everyone. 
uh, with with his uh, his behavior, and that and that dovetailed right at around the same time as uh, Silence of the Lambs, like right before uh, nine, sure. even mm-hmm. the year before. And so when Silence of the Lambs basically validated serial killers as as uh, something very interesting, but something that you could dramatize, uh, they were off to the races throughout the entire nineties. I mean, even to mm-hmm. the point where. You know, go, talking about A-listers wanting to jump on these movies, you know, you've got like California, California with a K, mm-hmm. you know, uh, with Brad Pitt as a serial killer and 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 Juliette Lewis on a road trip with David Duchovny and Michelle Forbes. But that's a very, very sort of very gritty kind of movie where but the, the plot of that film, if you remember, is David Duchovny is 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 doing a piece on uh, they're doing photos and doing a piece on serial killers and mm-hmm. they're going to various locations uh, on their road trip where, you know, serial killer, you know, murders had happened and so on and so forth. Um, Along with that, though, I think there was a lot of uh, urban blight and urban decay that I think was starting to be acknowledged in film. And so we're coming off of the the more, more, more 80s where you have corporate, you know, greed is good, Corporate raiders uh, taking over Wall Street. Uh, you've got Reaganomics and the trickle down economics that were no longer trickling down, but they were trickling up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people were starting to realize that. And people were starting to realize that something was wrong. And next thing you know, you've got the uh, the L.A. riots. You've got Rodney King um, and, and filmmakers like Wes Craven uh, were capitalizing on that. And then that sociopolitical element and turning it into an entertaining film, but it's still real dark and gritty with like the people under the stairs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Candyman and Cabrini Green and the projects in Chicago, you know, the whole setting is really about uh, the haves and the have nots and, and, a, and a, a supernatural creature that comes out of that scenario. Um, I think those kind of set the tones, you know, whether it was that subgenre, the urban blight, or just, uh, very much the uh, the you know wolves in sheep's clothing that you don't know who next door like mm. in misery Annie Wilkes sure she seems like a savior and next thing you know she's a toxic fan who's going to kill you because she doesn't like what you wrote <laughs> oh listen you turn your one second you know you're saying hi to her at the mailbox the next second you're getting hobbled no yeah. you know that's right you fall That's right, right. <laughs> you fall right fall right. <laughs> fall right right into that old spider web yeah. um, to this to this day. Uh, a scene I've seen many times and I still close my eyes. You can't be prepared for that. It is honestly, it's <laughs> such a brutal scene. Uh, uh, there are very few scenes um, that, yes, affect me in that same way. Uh, yeah. I'll mirror that. Yeah. I Just to jump back to, you You made mention of Candyman, which is one of my favorites of you know the decade. Mm-hmm. And it's a film that is so interesting because, like you said, it, it takes on the urban blight and then also it has this uh, wonderful score by Philip Glass. That, oh, it's so amazing. That is so yes. it, like, I feel like it's so unique, not not to say anything negative of like the 80s, but it is so different from what we're used to the 80s because the 80s is fill, filled with a lot of synth. And then mm-hmm. Glass, you know, puts this minimalist uh, you know flavor to everything. But uh, another big part of that is Tony Todd, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so... Mm-hmm. Tony Todd had not popped off in the eighties yet. He, uh, he was in platoon, but then it wasn't until 90 that he did night of the living dead and then Candyman in 92. So I'm just wondering 
is he somebody that we can maybe expect in the interviews uh, coming up that wasn't in the previous In Search of Films? Absolutely. Absolutely. The people who they were getting for the interviews are are the icons of the 90s, mm-hmm. the guys who were uh, the, the people. Who are who are very prevalent uh, in terms of the the moving and shaking and creating uh, of of the era. I, I can't officially name names okay. uh, right now because uh, only because uh, regretfully uh, we're still uh, at least while we're talking uh, this Screen Actors Guild strike is still going on. Right, right. The writers Guild, the Writers Guild strike uh, has a tentative agreement. Uh, SAG-AFTRA is still striking. They have they haven't uh, agreed to any terms yet. So in solidarity, we absolutely support uh, the strike and uh, the, the the actors and sure. the writers. Uh, and so normally we shout from the rooftops, uh, everyone that we have. Uh, and if anything, we 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 have pretty good bragging rights of the people that we've gotten in our movies. And so rest assured, we we plan to get a very amazing and eclectic and cool and memorable and lovable group. But uh, I will say, absolutely. Do we want Tony Todd? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and um, not only that, uh, I think it's great that we should sort of uh, talk about Night of the Living Dead, because mm-hmm. that's a movie that I think a lot of people dismiss or overlook, uh, A, because it's a remake, uh, but it came it came early on. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember seeing that in the theater. Uh, hoping for the best, expecting the worst, and finding it to be one of my favorite movies of the 90s. So much so where with a lot of, you know, I've got the greatest homework in the world. I I get to watch 90s movies for fun. (laughs) Uh, And I've been watching... My the lion's share of of, uh, 90s movies over the last several months. Mm. Um, But normally, Night of the Living Dead is my annual spooky season go-to. You know, you've got sort of some of those comfort titles where rather than straying and and discovering new stuff, which we all should do, there are the certain ones that just sort of get you started. that ritual watch, right? Yep, yep, yep. And Night of the Living Dead, uh, the remake, the Tom Savini remake with Tony Todd and Patricia Tallman, Mm -hmm. Tom Tolls. It's so good. And Mm -hmm. uh, I love it so much. With both Brian and I being from Pittsburgh, and you know we're obviously big fans just in general because you know we love Tom Savini and everything that he does up I'll, and down. I'll tell him you said hi when I'm getting my chip chopped ham at the at the deli next week. Yeah. He's down there. <laughs> yes. <please do. laughs> well, you could go to you know he's got a he's got a makeup school right there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, you guys know that I'm sure. You know, so uh, he's not. It's probably not hard to find. No, the local Pittsburgh. horror nerds. We definitely have like a, a you know, a, on the on social media and stuff. It's like a, a Tom Savini sighting, you know, kind of club. It's like, hey, I saw him at Whole Foods, you know, or whatever. Because <laughs> everybody. Uh, I'd love to interject real quick that uh, when I did uh, for In Search of Darkness Part One, I went to Pittsburgh mm. uh, and sat down uh, the same day actually with uh, uh, Doug Bradley and mm. Tom. Atkins. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they both said to me, "Where's Tom?" And I said, <laughs> "I keep on trying to get Tom, but our 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 schedules can never align. Mm. And every time I want to sit with him, he's it's just not it's just not working out, you know. Uh like I was like he's in Ireland right now shooting I think he was shooting Creepshow actually. Oh, yeah, the series, yeah, yeah. His episode of Creepshow. But um Anyway, we we eventually got Tom for part two. Uh, but the funny thing was, Tom said, you know, Tom, who I had literally one on one had been going back and forth, just trying to lock him down mm-hmm. and, and make it work. 
he said to me, how come I'm not in part one? <laughs> I said, Tom, I tried to get you too many times. Check your voicemail. Like, well, I, yeah. I should do part two because I, I that's my decade. You yeah. know? I'm like, yes, I know, Tom, I know. Let's get you to sit down. Please sit still. <laughs> well, he's working out. You know, he's an active guy. So that's where everybody's always seen him around riding his bike around uh, around town or whatever. But yeah, he's he's like he's like a horror royalty around here, as you might expect, yeah. as as is uh, Tom Atkins. And I actually uh, grew up watching uh, uh, Tom Atkins, uh, you know, in uh, Halloween three and, and, and Night of the Creeps and all that. And then also playing uh, Ebenezer Scrooge in the Pittsburgh CLO uh, version of a Christmas Carol every year up at, oh. up until only a few years ago. He's wonderful in that, too. He's uh, 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 he's he's just a, a, a ap- one of the sweetest men uh, you'll ever meet. He's so. a mensch. Yeah. He's, a, he's a great guy. Anyway, yeah. Steve, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say Tom, Tom Savini doesn't hear his uh, phone ringing over all the bullwhip cracking. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. It's loud. It's just it's an occupational hazard when you're when you're yes. cracking whips. Um, well, I, uh, uh, you know, I know we, we only got a few more minutes here, um, but I, I did want to throw out a couple of other. I'm always really interested to see. And this is one of the things I absolutely adored about uh, In Search of Darkness. The, the, the 80s rendition I'm really looking forward to is getting some personal stories from these these, you know, luminaries in in the horror horror world about the movies that affected them you know hearing i could listen to joe dante read the phone book but if i if i can listen to him talk about the movies that uh, that affected his life and inspired him that's like the most interesting thing in the world uh to me so i i would love to hear some movies from and if it, maybe we can keep it to that first you know half of the 1990s that really, you know, you mentioned uh, the Night of the Living Dead remake. What are some other ones that really affected you, really inspired you, or or maybe even ones that you feel don't get the credit they deserve from that half of the decade? I, I have to throw in uh, before I give you answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, one of the one of the things that didn't make the cut for In Search of Darkness from Joe Dante uh, when he was talking about some of his favorites is. Uh, uh, he talked about how much he like we were talking about guilty pleasures mm-hmm. and he was talking about how uh, his definition of a guilty pleasure, uh, because no one likes to call them guilty pleasures right. because you either, you either love them or you don't. Right. But he figured by definition, I think a guilty pleasure for me, he said, was uh, Exorcist 2, Heretic, <laughs> Heretic. <laughs> and, uh, and, and he's just like, you know, uh, he was even talking about how. He was talking to the late, great William Friedkin, uh, you know, it was just like, oh, I, you know, it's a terrible film. And he's like, well, of course, William Friedkin's going to hate it. He's got skin in the game. You know? <laughs> I love it. I think it's, it's one of the best films of, of the 70s. And he he really stood by it. And uh, listen, if you want uh, a uh, an older Linda Blair with, with great hair and lots of locusts. And who doesn't? You know, and Richard Burton as a priest. What more can you ask for? I have to bring that up. It's exorcist season now, right? Yeah. And and James Earl Jones. <laughs> um, listen, I will give you a nice handful of movie titles, but I will pre- I will preface by saying that uh, it's as, as I know you guys know, it's impossible to say what's your favorite. Yeah, you know, um, I know you said a couple, but even I've been I've been living and breathing this decade now, mm-hmm. and so I love so many of the films. It's so I feel like if I mention one. You know, the other ones get all ignored. Well, if it, maybe it's the deep dive. One. Like I said, our 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 listeners, you know, are are for the most part hardcore horror nerds um, who who want to hear, you know, somebody 
preach the gospel of popcorn, you know, or something like that. So, oh, it's funny you mentioned popcorn. All right, well, I won't mention it now because you no, I just <laughs> I just tried to pick an obscure one that I love. That was just a oh, personal popcorn's pick. Popcorn's a fun one. Yeah, popcorn's a fun one. Uh, D Wallace, you know, has her moments in it, but um, that one it's a bit clunky. It's a little rough around the edges, mm-hmm. but it's um, it's about a love of cinema. Yeah, and uh, I, I I have a soft place in my heart for. Because I went to film school. And so whenever I watch movies that are in love with movies, uh, even if they're a little uh, self-conscious, I think they're always wonderful. Mm-hmm. Because you could see that it's made by, no, no matter what the result, the filmmaker was a film fan, if not a student of film. Sure. And wanted to imbue their film with some sort of love of cinema. And so I think popcorn's really fun uh, in terms of that. Uh, I'll, I'll champion uh, Pet Cemetery 2. All right. Um, yeah. Cemetery 2 is is one of those movies where, uh, you know, Mary Lambert comes back uh, uh, and and directs. Uh, She did the first one. Um, When I when I first saw the first um, the first Pet Cemetery, uh, I I saw it opening weekend and 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 I, I, I hooted and hollered and was very entertained on the big, you know, watching it on the big screen. But it was only until I was much older, actually pretty much doing the In Search Darkness movies that I looked at it from the point of view of being a dad. Yeah. No. Uh, and, and I saw it in a whole new light uh, and it became a much more serious film mm-hmm. to me. Kind of a downer actually. It is. I can't, uh, you're, uh, I have, I have two young children and I'm the same. I can't watch it anymore. And I said, I sounds uh, maybe it sounds, sounds lame to say that, but yeah, I like when I was a kid, I thought not that I was laughing when a child gets struck by a truck, but like it didn't affect me that much. And when the kids, you know, stumbling around hacking at people's Achilles tendons, it it was almost it was I don't want to say comical, but it was like, hey, look, a crazy little zombie kid. Yeah, it was it was outrageous and entertaining. Now it's yeah, now no, it affects I, I, me way too much. <laughs> you you something, uh, you know, quick tangent is, is that when kids are watching horror, whether whether when they're experiencing horror, even like Grimm's fairy tales, sure. you know, I've, I've read some Grimm's fairy tales to my to my son. There's beheadings. There's there's, you know, people skinned alive. There's, you know, straight into the oven. I mean, everything. Uh, it, it's really dark stuff. And I it, it reminded me how much he loves it. And it reminded me how much I loved it, because you don't think about the real world consequences of any of this stuff. But as parents and parents are like, they poo poo it all because they're like, this is violent. This is awful. This is teaching terrible things. Mm -hmm. You know, this is this is a a part of humanity that we don't want to be exposing children to. But the the reality is, is kids don't see it that way. It's fun and exciting and, 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 and outrageous for a kid and a kid's sensibility. So that brings me back to Pet Cemetery too, mm-hmm. where that to me was just a lark. You know, you've got the great Clancy Brown, sure, uh. <laughs> who, who dies and then will just not die, and um, you know uh, uh, Edward Furlong, um, yeah, Anthony, uh, Anthony Edwards, Edwards, yeah, from uh, from yeah. of ER um, fame. And, I can never see him and not think ER, but he's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, and pre ER in that he still had a lot more hair. I think. In, <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah. Um, somehow overnight he lost a lot of it, but um, uh, Pet Cemetery Two, Cemetery Two is just very fun. Uh, it, it's 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 like the ideal horror movie of the time, where uh, I don't think anyone talks about it now. But 
It's a very just entertaining watch. No, oh, that's um, great. That's one I need to give a give a. I've I've seen it, but it has been years, and uh, haven't haven't it given it a thought in, in far too long. So that's a great one. Um, the the early '90s were the uh, the the beginnings of the stirrings from great filmmakers like Guillermo del Toro and yeah. Cronos. Of course, you know, Dead Alive uh, after Meet the Feebles, but Dead Alive, you know, from Peter Jackson, mm-hmm. um, and uh, uh, these were movies that really captivated me, especially Dead Alive mm-hmm. uh, uh, early on, where I, I put Dead Alive as a double feature with like Evil Dead Two. That's a fun sure. night. Oh, yeah. Wear your rain, wear your raincoat. You know, yeah. I was going to say, pick your <laughs> snacks carefully. You know, go with cheese its Don't go with, uh, you know, yeah. Jello pudding pops or something. Who knows? Yeah. And um, um, and of course, uh, bad. Oh my God, I'm having a moment. Um, the other Peter Jackson is it not bad brains? Bad um, taste. taste. Bad taste. Bad taste. Yeah. Uh, I've got brains on my brain. But, um, <laughs> you know, so it was very cool because you know uh, Peter Jackson was very much in sort of the Sam Raimi school of filmmaking mm-hmm. before. He evolved. And of course, you've got Sam Raimi in the early 90s. You know, he's doing, you know, Dark Man, which is really kind of horror adjacent. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, you've got Army of Darkness, which has fulfilled our dreams uh, <laughs> after seeing the end of Evil Dead 2, that we actually did go, you know, the movie that should have been and was going to be called Medieval Dead. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, um, you know, there's stop there, you know, because like I said, uh, uh, I, there, if you go back into this period of time where I think it's kind of a bit of a lost decade because a lot of people dismiss it, whether they feel like, you know, in a glance, they're like, well, nothing happened until Scream came along, you know, between Silence of the Lambs and Scream. I don't know what happened, you know, yeah. or they dismiss it because it was uh, starting to experiment with CGI and baby steps of CGI is pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's memorably bad to the point where it's a, so distractingly bad. You don't enjoy the movie. Um, <laughs> you had to brace yourself would, for a relic, you know, and you're like, Hey, this is awesome. Wait a second. You know, you got to relic, I would relic still has some good puppets. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It has a mix. It's a great mix. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's also the Zenith of practical effects. There's amazing effects going on, mm-hmm. but uh, it, it's, it's, it's oil and water mixed with the CGI. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I would argue that uh, going back, looking back at early CGI 30 years from now, first of all, everyone was obsessed with morphing. It wasn't just CGI. It was after T2 and the Abyss, everyone had to morph. That's great. So you got sleepwalkers, you know, and even the Stan Mick Garris was was morph crazy, Mm -hmm. you know, with a lot of his stuff. Um, But you look back at that stuff now and it's, it's fun and it's quaint and... I think you could put enough distance between your appreciation of what was going on around it mm. and the effect itself to recognize that filmmakers were trying to capitalize on a new technology mm-hmm. and advance their storytelling. And and I, I very much liken it to if you look back at Ray Harryhausen style stop motion. Sure. Yeah. You know, you watch that. Obviously, it's clunky. Clearly, you know, it's like it's, you know, claymation. It's stop motion creatures and characters but the thing is you don't say well forget it it's terrible right you appreciate that it's it's in the context of suspension of dis- disbelief with whatever you're watching whether it's the seventh voyage of sinbad or it came from beneath the sea yeah uh you know it's part of the era and it's just part of the story of a decade or 
uh, a period of filmmaking. And, it, and it's incredible how, and I was just watching uh, 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 The Gate 2 recently, and that movie is one that reminds me, even in, you know, well, I don't know what movie, that that was probably 92, 93, somewhere in there, that, the the effects in that movie, the the stop motion, hold up better than <laughs> the CGI two, three, four, five years later. Um, but yeah, you, this is, it truly is a, a technological kind of crossover era here. Um, and that combined with, yes, yeah, some of the big swings you see in the early nineties, uh, made for some, some memorable stuff. So no, those, those are fantastic. Chronos, great suggest people. I don't, I don't think enough people have seen that movie. I don't know if maybe it's not super widely available. I'm not sure, but I haven't seen it in a heck of a long time, but, um, no, that that's, that's wonderful. Steve, did you have anything else? I know we're, uh, we're bumping right up against our time here, but no, I mean, I just enjoy how everybody just beat around the bush without saying lawnmower man, but you know, <laughs> lawnmower man, we didn't say the that, word. That, that, that fits, that fits smack dab in the, the CGI category, mm-hmm. whatever, went, whatever happened with lawnmower man. That's what people remember right. is, is if anything, they, they were gung ho with all the virtual reality mm-hmm. and, you know, oh, yeah. seeing, seeing monkey vision, uh, you know, monkey POV <laughs> yeah. or actually it's not a monkey because he didn't have a tail. Ape vision, Ape vision. Uh, you know, chip vision. Uh, um, and, uh, you know, Stephen King's name's on it, but that's about it. Where yeah, you it's know, so, I think it's so far some, removed from the short. <laughs> that does happen. Yeah, no, yeah it's incredible. If, if anyone is. If anyone's a night shift fan and they've read this the short story lawnmower man yeah they'll wonder what movie this is but uh listen i i hey we're steve pierce brosnan and you know hot off nomads going into lawnmower man you know <laughs> really um, peak peak he's, brosnan he's a great guy yeah <laughs> i mean Je- jeff Fahey gives a good performance like it, it it's it, it's good performances it's just it's absolutely dated for the time and is what we were talking about so <laughs> well and that's why we can appreciate it have a good laugh mm-hmm. maybe at its expense but i think that there's it's got a lot to offer it's yeah. fun yeah plus jeff jeff Fahey, jeff Fahey, you know uh oh he he his 90s were his his you know his his time mm-hmm. and body parts i don't know if you guys have ever seen body i parts. love bo- oh, body par- well. i was thinking body bags when you first said it, but yeah body parts <laughs> oh there's john carpenter hosting john carpenter's body bags an <laughs> yeah. anthology that's a wonderful that qualifies one. as well but uh body parts mm. eric red's body parts uh that's a good one as well yeah. uh so many great titles uh it's 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 just a wealth of, of content. And uh, I can't wait to just dive into this. And, uh, you know, uh, I hope you're happy with, with the choices that we end up with, because I guarantee you, you're going to be like, oh, they didn't do that one, but they're going to be like, wow, they did. Th- they did Frankenhooker. I can't say I'm going to do it or not. How could yeah. you not? How could, could you not? not? Frank, Frank Hennenlotter, uh, you could probably do 12 hour documentary just on him. But yeah, no, I, 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 I and basket case two and three as yeah, well. Absolutely. You know, that came out in the early 90s. I mean, it was just out of control in the best way possible. Yeah. Yeah. I have absolutely no doubt uh, that, that you're going to have an, an unbelievable set of films to talk about and, and some awesome uh, guests to talk about them. And and we're really looking forward to it. If, if you don't mind, I know you mentioned a little bit at the top of the show, if you don't mind, you know, reminding listeners where to find, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the 80s documentaries, and then, you know, some where they might find some information on, you know, the upcoming ones, and even some some other opportunities to, to support in search of darkness, and frankly, any anything else you're working on. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, right now uh, is our campaign for In Search of Darkness, 1990 to 1994. Mm. Uh, go to 90shorrordoc.com, 90s, 90s horrordoc.com between October 6th and October 31st. Uh, and you can find out all the cool stuff that you can get with that. There's, you know, lots of cool swag that comes with it. Um, uh, you could get your name in the credits. Uh, you get cool posters. We've got a really cool In Search of Darkness patch this time around. We've got some new fun stuff. Uh, and we've got a year-long uh, uh, calendar of events that we're putting together to uh, a, a be transparent about all the cool stuff we're doing where you could talk to the filmmakers, uh, including myself, uh, about what's going on. Uh, but also you can uh, talk to some of the uh, icons that we talk to and we can just have conversations like we are right now, just talking about some of the great uh, elements of 90s horror. Um, so it's more than just ordering and then waiting for it to happen. Uh, you know, you get to be part of the whole process. And that's very important to us at uh, Creator VC. So you go to 90shorrordoc.com. All our socials are still at 80shorrordoc.com. Uh, just because we have all the followers there, why migrate to a place where they can't find us? Right, right, right. right. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. Because it's too hard to change the 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 handle, right? Yeah, yeah it takes three um, weeks. You got to send them a blood test. It's a whole thing. Right, exactly. <laughs> and these days, uh, you don't even know if you're on Twitter, X, or Blue Sky. So, you know, yeah. um, so 80s Horror Doc is where you're going to find all the stuff about what we're doing for the 90s. We're also doing weekly uh, 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 uh group watch uh <laughs> i've run out of steam and I'm, I'm in pitch mode so i can't even speak no it. no it's a, uh we, we we do every sunday we we do uh like a watch party kind watch, of it. watch parties yep, thank yep. you very much um and uh so lots of cool stuff there a lot a lot of people uh especially around spooky season are, are looking to watch in search of darkness the original trilogy the 80s trilogy uh you know for sure. their their watch uh you know their watch list and all sorts of stuff like that uh but i know a lot of people aren't finding part one uh on shutter part two or three is mm -hmm. on shutter but part one has mysteriously disappeared uh the cool thing mm -hmm. is that uh, in search of darkness the 80s trilogy is going to be also available if you go to 90s horror.com you can get a disc with all three discs in it. It's going to have a brand new art and brand new booklet, but you basically physical nice. media does not go away when everything else does on streaming. And I think I would say there's a great example of why we should be uh, investing in, in physical media and why I have a nauseating amount of DVDs <laughs> and Blu-rays VHS tapes in front of me here uh, <laughs> is because uh, once I have that, then if it goes off shutter, you you're still, still going to watch it in its entirety, yeah. guys. We're not at the, at the mercy of the streaming over. I, mean, I made the biggest mistakes um, early on with uh, a, a very uh, egregious misunderstanding of how Netflix works. And I, I thought mm -hmm. Netflix was mm -hmm. just like my streaming video store. And so I started getting rid of stuff because I'm like, I've, I have so much physical media. I don't have room for it. I'll just get rid of this series. Yeah. I'll get rid of that series, you know. And uh, next thing I know, I was looking for it and I couldn't find it on Netflix. And I started to realize and understand that certain licenses, you know, expire and this stuff is gone. And sometimes it doesn't pop up elsewhere. So uh, anyway, yeah. I learned I learned the hard way that uh, if you 
you if you have the space, uh, hold on to that physical media. And uh, the cool thing about uh, In Search of Darkness is that it is hard to come. Unfortunately, it is hard to come by because we don't sell it in stores, but we do sell it uh, from time to time. And now's the time to jump on it. And so while you get In Search of Darkness 90s, you will have to. going to be shipped, uh, I think, right around Christmas time. So uh, you're not going to have to wait a very long awesome. time for that. And you can get the whole trilogy in one package. And uh, that's pretty neat. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for your, uh, like I said, for your for your insufferable horror nerd, if you've got a hardcore, I say insufferable <laughs> with, with love and affection. If you've got a hardcore horror nerd in your life, uh, this is definitely the, uh, the, the eighties horror documentary for them. Cause like I said, it's, it's a big old deep dive and, uh, have, having all that content in one spot is, uh, is quite a luxury. So absolutely go, go over to, uh, 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 90s horror uh, to find out more about the 90s one. And then, yeah, if you want to grab that, uh, uh, that, that, would you call it a, a set, uh, that, that complete, yeah, it's um, the complete, it's a, three, three, a complete trilogy, you know, uh, it, it's, it's trilogy. That was the oh, word well, that was I escaping think, me. I think <laughs> the, don't, don't quote me on this. And I should know because listen, I should know, but I think we're calling it the complete <laughs> uh journey through 80s horror uh on, on the cover go. but essentially it's the we're calling it the in search of darkness trilogy uh but it's all three films uh and it's all in one place and uh uh it's it's neat to have and it takes a, it's not going to take up a yeah. lot of room because it's on one of those thin uh blu-rays that has the little leaflets you know leafs that'll carry all three discs oh oh yeah. there you go yep Versus versus a larger oh, sort awesome. of box sleeve, yeah, like this. Nice. It's not going to look like this. Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of not going to look up my my Universal Monsters DVDs that take up uh, half of an entire shelf on their own. Uh, and, and for those still listening to me while I plug away, uh, I'm also I did In Search of Tomorrow, the '80s sci-fi documentary, and we have a companion book that we were uh, putting together as well. Oh, so wow. if you go to, go to 80s sci-fi book.com, 80s sci-fi book.com, uh, we're putting together a, uh, a 300 page hardcover book. That's the ultimate companion to the movie. And so it's going to have everyone who's in the movie. It's going to be a similar uh, uh, structure, 1980 to 1989. But what will be different is we're going to have a lot of the material that didn't make it in the cut. We're going to have 70 plus movies. Uh, there's going to be a lot of additional material where at, at the end of each movie page, if you say you talk about, you know, Blade Runner, there's going to be a QR code. And that's going to take you to video content that was unseen and you didn't see. Oh, that's in, a, that's oh, awesome. really cool. And if you really are, are uh, uh, also, like I said, we like to put people's names in the credits. If you order between now and, and December 25th, Christmas Day mm. for yourself or for a gift for someone you love. Mm. Uh, you get your name in the credits in print, which is super cool at the back of the book. But there's also other uh, options that if you want to write uh, uh, some happy memories of why the 80s sci-fi movies of your youth were so great. Uh, or if you want to create a, a, a testimonial, you know, uh, sorry, a dedication, a dedication to someone that you love or yeah. someone who's passed. Uh, you could do that. And on top of that, 
while those there's limited space, you could pick any of the films that we that we're doing in the book and write something about why that movie was important. So mm. if Megaforce was your movie, <laughs> you could you could explain why and it'll be in the Megaforce section with your name right under it. That's cool. And uh, I think it's a pretty cool interactive experience and you get to personalize it and uh you go to 80sscifibook.com and you get to do it and check out all the cool stuff that we're doing with that. Awesome. That sounds like a pretty awesome gift for the uh, insufferable nerd in your life. Um, <laughs> and I would be very, very what happy to saying? get What are you saying? I me? would be very yeah. happy to receive that uh, because I am the insufferable nerd in many people's lives. Um, so, yes. no, that sounds absolutely awesome. Um yeah. Once again, David, thank you so much for your time. This was so much fun. We're really, really looking for uh, looking forward to uh, the the 1990 to 1994 incarnation of uh, In Search of Darkness. And uh, once again, we we really appreciate it. It was super fun talking to you. Yeah. Thanks for coming Absolute on. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much, guys. I, I you guys know what you're talking about, and I. I, I, ner nerd sees nerm. Game recognizes game. Nerd recognizes nerd. That feels but, very uh, good. Happy, yeah. Coming from you. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm the only non film school guy on here. So I just, I need mm -hmm. some sort of ego boost. So we, I appreciate you picking me up. Yeah. Well, listen, <laughs> I'll, I'll say real quick before we depart uh, is that uh, you don't have to have gone to film school to be knowledgeable about film. Uh, film film knowledge comes from passion you know from for genres and for the craft and uh you don't have to have a degree to uh validate you if you really love this stuff if you've created say a podcast talking about movies that is something where you're you're sharing your love with with the world who can also appreciate it and uh that carries a lot of weight because it shows your dedication so uh don't sell yourself short, you know, if you didn't go to film school. Yeah. It's not all it's packed well, up to be. Yeah. I, I've been there. Well, Steve won't let me forget it anyway, even if I try. So <laughs> well, where'd you go, Steve? Where'd you I go? Went, to I went to Penn State. It's not <laughs> like it, it, okay. it was an okay program. It's not, you know. <laughs> you're you're not in Tom Savini's school right now, are no, you? No, no, no. Unfortunately. <laughs> okay. Not. So because you you know all about the, those whip cracks. So I figure you, you know. Oh yeah. I mean I've, he'll, he, I, he used to just do he'll He'll demo the whip anywhere. He used to demo it at like, uh, you know, all I saw, kinds him, down, of steel I saw coins. him down Giant Eco. I was getting some oranges. Yeah. I heard, watch out. You whacked it right in my hand. Now we, now we can be told. But yeah, absolute pleasure talking with you guys. Thanks so much. Yeah, yeah. you too, Dave. Thanks again. You spreading the bird. Of course. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>